0: You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host Sean McCormick on today's episode we're joined by Ariel Garten who is the co-founder of the Muse brain sensing headband it's a meditation device that helps you track your meditation in real time giving you feedback and for those of you who are listening you probably already know what this is but if you don't uh, this is a really cool not only broad take on what Muse does but how it works how it was created. Um, she tells us her story about how she became a, uh, the co-creator of Muse, and the import of teaching people to shift their brain state and ultimately meditate using this device. Pretty, pretty awesome. Um, we talk about virtually virtual reality setups that are tied to Muse, where you can actually access a virtual world and uh, change it with your mind which is pretty amazing we also talk about uh, the features that are in the second version of muse the muse 2 so there's an accelerometer a magnetometer a gyroscope and in addition to that it tracks your heart rate it tracks your breath and your body movements in addition to your brain. Uh, I have used Muse a couple of times, I mean, for pretty consistently for a few weeks when I borrowed it from friends. It's a really cool piece of equipment, and I challenge her a bunch in this episode and try to make certain objections about why using a wearable meditation device is is, uh, problematic, and she handles these questions really well. It's really, really, really well thought out. I think that if you've been meditating for a long time and you are interested in trying a new technique or looking at how tech can help you increase your meditation, whether that's a muse headband or a float tank, I think you should explore it. It's really worth thinking about now that we know how deeply beneficial meditation is in our lives. Um, we sh- it's, it's worth looking into very deeply. Listeners of the Optimal Performance Podcast can click on the show notes and get 15% off a Muse headband if you're interested in purchasing one for yourself. As always, if you're interested in learning more about performance coaching and what it can do for you, life coaching, uh, let me know. That's what I do, that's what I love. When I'm not doing podcasts, I'm coaching people. And if you've got something that's really been messing with you, let's talk about it. Go to SeanMcCormick.com, that's E A N, and we can connect. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Arielle Garten. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Ariel Garten, the co-founder of Muse. Ariel, thank you for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: My pleasure. Awesome to be here.
0: So, I like to start every podcast with the same first question, um, which I think is, is relevant even for an inventor like yourself. Um, where, what time is it where you are, and what have you put into your body today?
1: It is to I'm in Toronto. It is 1207. I put into my body three handfuls of cherry tomatoes, uh, some avocado, and then my husband wanted me to go out and get him lunch and bagels. So I ate half a bagel. The half a bagel was the regrettable part of my morning, <laughs> but still very enjoyable.
0: Yeah, T- right.
1: Typically, it's a good protein start.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. You can imagine with the, you know, um, gut health specialists and performance specialists, you know, uh, Jonathan Levy, whose podcast you've been on hearing, Mm -hmm. hearing all of the different authors and doctors and researchers hearing what they put in their body is a cool way to start off the podcast because sometimes it's nothing at all. Sometimes it's a handful of cherry tomatoes.
1: (laughs) So it's usually nothing till about 1130. Um, and then I always start with my vitamins, vitamin D, um, some true nitrogen to upregulate my NAD, um, some curcumin and then rest of the vitamins come throughout the day.
0: Yeah. We had, uh, we had, and
1: raw... a little spritz of progesterone in my nose.
0: Ah, uh, what are you using that for?
1: Uh, boost your cognitive function, reduces inflammation.
0: Nice. We, uh, how long have you been taking true nitrogen?
1: Uh, about two years.
0: Oh, Okay. Uh, we had Rob from Chromadex on um, last month. Uh, fascinating. The research is is really, really interesting. What have you noticed from taking true Niagen? Why do you keep taking it?
1: So I t- keep taking it for a host of reasons. Myself, I notice, I no longer notice an effect because I've been on it for so long. Um, but when I asked Dr. Rudy Tanzi, one of the leading Alzheimer researchers, what would you take every day for life? Um, <laughs> And it's always in the recommendation Life. of things who I believe, you know, people who I believe and trust when I ask, you know, what would you actually take every day? What do you think is the most meaningful thing you can do? Uh, and true niogen is right up there.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so – Let's briefly talk. I'm really excited to, to talk with you because I've tried, um, I've tried Muse. I tried it for a while. I also have a lot of meditation baggage, uh, being taught uh, TM at twelve, um, and 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 cycling through different modalities and approaches, and fine tuning and tinkering, you know, guided versus wearable versus you know vipassana, and so I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you. But before we, before I start throwing you, throwing you questions, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into? Um, I know you're a neuroscience um, um, focus. Can you tell us your sort of origin story with Muse, please?
1: So my own story comes from a background in design, uh, neuroscience, and the desire to create experiences that are going to shift people. I was working in a research lab with Dr. Steve Mann. He is one of the inventors of the wearable computer, and he had an early brain-computer interface system. So a single EEG lead that you'd slip onto the back of your head, and by shifting your brain state, focusing or relaxing, we could affect something in the world around you. So you would focus, or you would relax, and then the music would shift, or you could make a light bulb go brighter. And we are creating concerts where 48 people at a time would make music with their mind, like literally sit down with an EEG strapped to their head and shift the sound in the room based on their brain state. And I stood back and said, oh, my God, this is insane. We're like literally controlling the world with our brain and people need to know about this. So I got together with my co-founders, Chris Ameni. He's this unbelievable engineer who really understands both, you know, technology and spirituality, and Trevor Coleman, my co-founder, and we started creating this device that ultimately became Muse, and through the search to control technology outside of yourself, recognized the best thing we could do with this was to help people control the technology inside of themselves, and instead of trying to turn off and on a light bulb, we're trying to teach people to shift their brain state and ultimately meditate, and we knew if we could do something great for the world, it would be get more people meditating, and that became the Muse device.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well said. You've you've uh, you've laid that out before. It's very it's very clear. Uh, let's talk one thing that you said that kind of stands out to me is is the the connection that meditation has or, or in, in what, what you said technology with spirituality. It's really hard to untie meditative states from spiritual states. Uh, um, when you when you were First struck by the ability to control and create music with our minds, what what was the deeper, uh, what was the deeper impression that you had of the power of the mind, and how does that tie into your life purpose and your mission?
1: It's an awesome question. So when when we were first controlling technology with the mind, my you know my sensation inside of myself was like, oh my god, like this is now the ability for humans to extend their brain. This is the ability for a human to extend their agency in what's possible. It's like your brain can like reach out and touch something that it couldn't have before. It was this incredible demonstration of the extension of human capability and human agency. And so as we look at this technology, it's always been about how do we expand human potential with it. Um, When we move into the realm of meditation, there's both the sense of the expansion of human potential because you are now undoing your limitations um, and the sense of expansion of human potential because you are able to go inside and, you know, get in touch with yourself on this deeper sense, feel the, you know, internal sense of self that is a mystery that is itself a spiritual state.
0: Um,
1: The mission with Muse is not spiritual I mean it, it's a it's a technology that helps you meditate Meditation is not necessarily a spiritual activity depending on who you ask. Um, for some people it is just a purely pragmatic state of training the brain to improve focused attention and decrease dialogue in your head um, and that's functional and awesome and works really effectively to reduce anxiety and help you you know be in life more effectively. For other people, the path of doing that is the path of being able to get in touch with something deeper inside of themselves or between ourselves or in connection to the world. So, you know, different people take the take the direction to take themselves either down the secular path or the secular and slightly spiritual path or the super spiritual path.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, the super spiritual path. That's my favorite path. <laughs> the... I'm, it, there must be, I mean, because I, I know that you've, o- o- over the years, I mean, it, it is such a successful, it is a ubiquitous product. I mean, when, when people, people know what it is, they can picture it in their mind when you say the word muse. Um, you must have had so many different stories of people's experience with the device. And I wonder, of the people who, who have reached out or have shared their stories, how many people... Kind of shift between oh well I went into it being being uh, I wanted to be able to focus longer and more clearly and I found that uh, I found myself within this process you know I had this I had this you know um, Maslow peak experience in the meditation that sort of showed me who I am you know I I must I imagine that there's probably such an amazing litany of stories that you have been able to hear from users. Can you give us an example of both a, man, this was really practical and useful for me, and now I feel uh, more productive and smart. And can you also tell us a story of someone who who changed them to the core and how they identify with themselves?
1: Sure. Um, so there's, you're right, there's tons and tons of stories. There's hundreds of thousands of users who use this regularly. Um, on the practical side, you know, we're always hearing stories about how this, uh, made sleep easier, how it, um, allowed me to be more effective in my work day, you know, from, I'm now a mom. So the mom perspective resonates with me. I'm now able to be more present with my kids. I'm able to be more effective in the office because I don't feel the same sense of t- tension or pressure or, um, frustration or fear that my boss is going to yell at me. Those are all you know, really common ones on the sense of self side, I had somebody tell me a story. Oh, and then on the practical side, most people are always like, and it helped me meditate. So for somebody who's never learned to meditate, it's like, what did the Muse do? It actually taught me to meditate. (laughs) It's sort of like the meta story. Um, Somebody told me a story a while ago about how when using Muse, they first started down the path of Meditating then quieted the dialogue in their head, you know, they they didn't really have a direction with what they're doing They're just doing their meditation and then the stories of their own narrative shifted. So in his case He told me a story about being um, Ostracized as a kid and the narrative that he'd built around himself because of that ostracization and then finally through Probably about after a year of meditation He recognized that that story that he had carried about himself wasn't true And all of a sudden that led to a massive shift in his life and an unlocking, you know, that wasn't necessarily a, I'm looking, you know, I'm having a deep spiritual experience of connecting with the world. That was a, the dialogue I had about myself, my whole life has now changed and who I am is therefore different and liberated. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I've also had the, you know, crazy spiritual stories The I was, you know, doing this. And when I do it at a particular place or, you know, people tell me about doing it while microdosing and then they see visions and there's this mask and in the middle of their head, they could remove the mask and get to the thing. <laughs> Lots of people tell me, you know, detailed stories about the internal experiences that they've had that have been fascinating and that I could possibly never hope to reproduce.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Results may vary, right? Like
1: (laughs) depending on the input stimulus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that sort of that work of, of knowing yourself, rewriting your narrative, seeing yourself in a brand new way for me is some of the most important personal work we can do. You know, um, I, I've done a lot of my own personal work in that way. Uh, I, I've worked, uh, I'm a life coach and performance coach and I work with a lot of clients that that's everything. They see themselves in a certain way and they cannot transcend that. Um, and, and it keeps them from moving forward in their life. Um, you know, and, and I've heard similar stories. I, I, I opened uh, sensory deprivation tank centers, uh, here in Seattle, uh, and, and similar stories of, of, of. I, I it was there was a moment I knew myself in a certain way before Muse and now I know myself in a new way going forward everything has changed um, that must be really gratifying and uh, and interesting and I'm sure that you you'd like to be able to sit down and have a cup of tea with each, with each of those people and talk about their experiences
1: it's unbelievable I mean when we set out to do this we just kind of hoped we could get more people meditating and we weren't even sure the technology was going to work. And we're like, look, even if the tech fails, at least more people will meditate. We know we're going, doing the right thing. And it's kind of extraordinary when the thing that you set out to do actually works. Yeah. And you know, when those first few emails came in about people talking about the experiences they had in their life or the transformation it was like, what we did this right? Huh? Yes. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was kind of shocking. Now, five years later in market, it's, it, you know, continues to be surprising. Um, and, and, like such an insane honor that it's actually helping people make transformation, which was the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And helping people unlock from the narratives. So, you know, my mission in life is to have, have everybody recognize that the voices that you have inside your head that tell you things about you don't have to be true. And frankly, they're not true. And as soon as you have the ability to recognize that the voices in your head are often lying to you, and there are tools that you can use to quiet those voices, push them away, reframe them, um, and disassociate them from your sense of self, then you have liberated yourself in every way possible.
0: Totally true. I mean, you could spend uh, a decade in therapy and still not get to that point at which you see yourself in a new way that's that's not bound by some narrative that either you created as a child or that maybe your your family imposed upon you. Um, to be able to get, I mean, that's 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 the for me that is the most important part of meditation, and by proxy, the most important part of uh, a meditation aid is. To give people, to empower people, the ability to give them the ability to grow in a real way, to to change and and and, and unshackle themselves from um, from their own mental cages. I mean, that is that is such a beautiful thing. Um, I told you before we turn on the microphones that I that I wanted to challenge you on a couple of things, and so um uh, I want to dig into this because there are lots of different. Meditations. There are lots of different meditation techniques, mm-hmm. frameworks, wearables. Um, is it guided? Is it conscious awareness? Is it mantra based? Is it? I mean, there are such a, there's such a wide range of of meditation practices, and I myself have experienced many of them, including including wearable technology. Um, how do you think of the place for a wearable technology as opposed to a practice in which they are taught and learned and disciplined with with a teacher that doesn't require a wearable device. How do you think about it?
1: So uh, Muse is a focused attention on the breath. Practice. So there's lots of different practices situating where muses, it's specifically focused attention on the breath. Um, you focus your attention on your breath, your mind wanders, you notice, and you then bring your attention back to your breath. And that act of noticing and returning is kind of the work of the meditation. That's the disconnection or the, the shift in the relationship to your thoughts. So when you begin a meditation practice, um, there's a many different practices that you can do, and they have uh some of them have a lot of similarities at their core. If you are looking to learn something, you obviously want a teacher of some sort, whether that teacher is going to be a book, a physical person, a device. Um, All of these things are teachers. The device is a teacher of itself. Um, The joy of working with a teacher as opposed to reading a book is you have the opportunity for feedback. And so Muse is just a different kind of teacher that gives you feedback. It is a thing that is observing your practice and then giving you feedback about how your practice is doing in the same way that a teacher would. Um, Now, teachers have benefits because a teacher can, um, you know, give you really tailored guidance based on 2000 years of history and, you know, drips of knowledge and insight. Um, And that is wonderful. And, you know, nothing will ever take the place of a sentient human being engaging with you deeply and in rapport with you, understanding where you personally need to shift and change. Like the one-on-one teaching of a teacher is beautiful. Most people do not have access to that. You know, most people don't have an hour a week or 10, 15 minutes every single day where they can sit down with, uh, an excellent guru in their living room or in their car or in their office when they need to meditate. And so in the creation of a tool like Muse, you know, we've brought, the aspect of somebody there literally like a coach holding your hand through the process or the process of meditation and giving you feedback on this exercise so that you can then reflect on it, see how you're doing and teach yourself. And so the goal of Muse is not you put this thing on and it zaps you to meditate and (laughs) it's done the work for you. Muse is a different kind of teacher. Um, One that teaches you through real time feedback on your brain state, um, gives you graphs after the fact so that you can reflect has lots of guidance so that you have many different voices that guide you through different kinds of practices and and ideas and inspiration, um, and it's something that is widely accessible to all. And like any teacher, the goal is not to use your you know only rely on your teacher. The goal is to teach you a skill that you then apply throughout your life, throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the life.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. Explain how it works, if you would, and I'm sure that you've done this a trillion times, but um, rather than me try to explain my experience with it, I'd love to hear um, how how it works so that people can understand their interaction with the tech.
1: Sure. So Muse is a brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. It's a wearable, so just like you have a Fitbit on your wrist, uh, Muse is a slim little device that you wear on your forehead that tracks your brain activity during meditation. So there are sensors on the forehead and behind the ears and it tracks the shift in your brain state and lets you know when you're focused and when your mind has wandered. So during a focused attention meditation, what you want to do is focus your attention on your breath, your mind wanders and you notice it and you return. So most people have difficulty noticing when their mind has wandered, and that act of noticing is the act of building your metacognition. Um, the act of then being able to disengage and change the relationship from your thoughts, like you said, like I said earlier. So with Muse, what you're doing is you're actually being cued. And the metaphor we use is your mind is like the weather. So when you're thinking, when you're mind wandering, you actually hear it as stormy. And as you bring yourself to quiet focused attention, you quiet the storm. So it's this very simple paradigm You slip on the muse, it connects to your phone. Um, You put in your headphones, you can actually hear the sound of your own mind. And then you hear your mind wandering. That's your cue to return. And as you come to quiet, focused attention, if you stay in quiet attention for more than five seconds, you hear little birds chirp. So it then starts to reinforce the state. And so you have this really simple behavioral paradigm that reinforces the learning um, and really is subtly teaching your brain the differentiation between these two states so it can much more effectively on its own than notice the wandering and on its own bring it back to quiet
0: it's like a gentle it's a gentle nudge to to go back to your breath and and it is it is very subtle um okay so i'm going to play devil's advocate again please Uh, when when you're when you're wearing the device and it starts to get stormy and because your attention has shifted away from your breath and toward something else, anything else other than, other than um, focused attention, does the subtle storm sound um, that notifies you subtly that you're no longer focused on your breath and you ought to go back to your breath? Does that in some way cause or create some sort of connection that 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 shortens your ability to do that for yourself?
1: Um, shortens your ability to do that for yourself in in uh, suggesting that it actually makes it faster. The answer is yes. Shortens in turn of short circuits is in it doesn't let you do it yourself. The answer is no. So just like looking in a mirror helps you become better at, you know, if you're a girl putting on your lipstick without looking f- in the future. <laughs> <laughs> this example is, this is this example's not going to be relevant to most of your no, own. that's good okay shaving is probably a good one for you guys so you know you're looking in the mirror If you, had you started shaving and never looked in the mirror shaving would always be kind of awful and you would do it poorly um, you teach yourself in the mirror a few times and maybe you can just shave on your own when you're camping and nobody, you know, and there's no mirror there and you do it right so the act of actually seeing what's going on uh, teaches you what you need to know so that you can do it later without it
0: hmm. well said well said
1: I see that look in your eye. You're looking for more challenges.
0: I am. I, I am.
1: I am. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm, I'm super into it. Okay. Um, can, I, can I give you another one to challenge me on? Please. <laughs> the goal-directed nature of uh, this meditation practice that I described and the non-goal-directed nature of meditation in general.
0: Yes, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, what are all the ways you can, like, stick holes in this? Let's find them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so meditation in general is non-goal directed. You know, the idea is not that you're supposed to get better or strive or do things. And so you're like, Ariel, you just told me that you have this process that gives you essentially rewards and feedback and and motivation to do this. Um, and you get really you get birds when you're quiet. Like, what's what's going on there? Isn't that a reward? And so what we've done is we've built this extrinsic motivation. Um, so after your meditation, you get points, scores, graphs, charts, stuff that shows you how you've done and encourages you to keep doing it. So there's extrinsic motivation to keep meditating because starting a practice is really hard. And like any behavioral change, you need to have goals and motivation to keep that habit change going until it's solidified into a habit. At that point, the extrinsic motivation of getting rewards and birds and all that crap starts to shift away as the intrinsic motivation, the value that you get for doing it, the benefits that you're seeing in your life take over. And you're like, oh, I, you know, if you don't do it, you miss your meditation practice. You're like, oh, I I wish I'd meditated today. You want to do it. It's it's intrinsic. And we have a couple little things inside there to also subtly undermine the goal-directed nature of it. So the birds, when you're quiet, you get a bird. And you would think that's a reward, and you're like, whoa. So the first time you meditate with muse and you get a bird, you're like, okay, there's a bird. Cool, we don't know what it is. As soon as somebody tells you that that's what happens when you're in the zone, when you get it, you're like, whoa. And then you get a bird, and you're like, yes, I got a bird. And then your bird flies away. (laughs) We actually used to even have a little flapping sound. So as soon as you get too excited about your rewards, they leave. And if you get too frustrated about your failures, you know, if you're like, ah, that wind, it's fucking driving me crazy, then the wind never leaves. And so it's this really subtle way to teach you the practice of equanimity, to teach you the practice of letting go and being equally as uninvested in your rewards as in your failures. And so you know it's okay if it's windy for a couple moments. Actually when you let go of your concern about it that the wind quiets and when you let go of trying to get the birds they come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That I mean that that is that is at the heart of of any learned meditation practice um is when you stop trying so hard things fall into place when you just be in that in that moment in in each breath um how many iterations did it take to get to well let's talk about the muse too uh because i'm i'm curious how you iterate and improve on such a useful piece of tech like it 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 has it's be, it became so popular so quickly. How how do you improve upon that?
1: So after making uh, the original Muse, which we had in market for probably three years, we then started working on a pair of glasses, sunglasses that would retrieve your EEG with sensors on the uh, arm piece and on the nose bridge, and um, we did those in partnership with a with a big glasses company. They're, fantastic but the glasses company didn't really promote them Um, and from that we had all of this incredible technology that we'd built that took the Muse and really miniaturized it really just let it fit into the arm of a pair of glasses super small and so looking at that we said okay now we know we have to make the next Muse Um, it's going to be even smaller even lighter even thinner and while we're doing it we'd learned how to jam a whole bunch more sensor technology into the same kit So Muse 2 gives you, has sensors for, it has an accelerometer. Um, So in the glasses, we actually had a UV sensor. We had a magnetometer, altimeter, um, a whole bunch of fun stuff. And we brought a few of those sensors into the Muse 2. So accelerometer, magnetometer, gyroscope, um, and most importantly, heart rate sensor. So the heart rate sensor, it's a PPG sensor on your forehead, and it can detect the beating of your heart. And so here we had the opportunity to create experiences not just for the mind but for the body. So Muse Two gives you real time feedback on your heart, your breath, and your movement while hmm. you meditate.
0: Hmm. Wow. And that was not that was not part of the first design. The heart no. and, yeah.
1: Yeah, the first the first one was just brain. Um, and so Muse 2 is brain plus heart, breath, and body. It took us a long time to figure out brain, which really made heart, breath, and body much easier once, yeah. you know, once you can wrap up your head around giving real-time feedback on the brain, everything totally. else is kind of a walk in the park. Yeah,
0: right. Every, everybody, everybody can, everybody can, can read heart rate, but, uh, the brain waves harder. Um, how long have you been, how long have you been using, um, Muse 2 personally?
1: Uh, So Muse 2 came out in about November of 2018. Um, I didn't have one for a while because we were out of stock. (laughs) So I kept giving mine away. It was like, I don't have a Muse 2. Hopefully some of our other people who purchased it have one because I don't need one. Um, So I've been using it since probably late, mid-December
0: 2018. Got it. And do you mix it up in your meditation practice without, uh, without using the, the muse tube, do you have other, do you have other, um, techniques or disciplines that you experiment with?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole fun of it. The whole fun of this is being a consciousness explorer. It's discovering what goes on in your mind and body. Um, so I explore many different forms of meditation and, uh, various, you know, I'd call them mind body practices outside of meditations and positive psychology practices And for me, you know, I'm constantly kind of looking at how I am in the moment and offering myself a possibility or a technique for how it could be. So I'm super lucky to like go through the world and just fucking love life because I've now trained myself to call into my heart and body a sense of joy whenever I want it.
0: Um, (laughs) That's pretty great. Let's go deeper into that. Let's go deeper into that that ability to shift your brainwave state to or to shift your way of being and the way that you're seeing the world is that strengthened you believe by 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 the muse devices is it strengthened by your meditation practice and journey overall cuz that that is a that is a superhuman ability to be able to be in the face of adversity and this is what this is what performance is all about when you're when you're facing some gnarly situation, and you um, are getting down on yourself, self doubt, or fear, or um, uh, being frightened, to be able to to be able to shift that emotion into a productive emotion in no time is like being Superman or Superwoman. Um, has the meditation specifically the muse and muse Two has that empowered that ability? Tell us about that. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. It wasn't the only part of the story, but it was an essential part of the story. So, um, my meditation history, I've been curious about meditation since I was little. I was the kind of kid who, at eight years old, would lie in my bed and, like, try to have an out-of-body experience and, like, you know, am I hearing the rush of leaves? Because I'd be reading about them and I'd hear, you're supposed to hear, I'm like, can I hear a rush of leaves? No, never did. Never had an out-of-body experience as a child. Um, And I would try to meditate and I would suck at it. I was trained as a psychotherapist. I was teaching my patients to meditate and I was still somebody who was an entrepreneur at the same time, had a million stuff going on, was being trained as a neuroscientist and working research labs. And the thought of having my brain go quiet was actually kind of terrifying. Uh And so, you know, I teach my patients with anxiety meditation, um, but couldn't meditate myself because it was too frustrating to make my mind, uh, settle down. And so it was really through the process of building Muse, starting, I don't know, six, seven years ago that I finally was able to nail a meditation practice myself. Where I was finally able to sit down, um, focus my attention, be re- be like reinforced for that focused attention, get the value of it, get the value of the quieting mind, and then be able to say like, ah, okay, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I was supposed to be doing the whole time. Now I get it. It makes sense. And so after you know several years of building that focused attention practice with Muse and really understanding the process of letting go of my thoughts. Um, having the metacognition, being able to really feel like I was rising above myself, not in an out of body way, but just in a metacognitive way, seeing my own state and then seeing what I was doing, like watching my body, watching how my body was existing in the world, feeling my feelings and not making stories out of my feelings so I could have an objective experience of them. Um, that was the thing that taught me this like ninja trick of being able to rise above what's going on and choose to shift state. Hmm the process of actually shifting state. And um, those are probably other positive technology, uh, positive psychology techniques that I've you know used over the years to be able to, you know, invoke sensations in my body and feel them perfusing it strongly. Um, I was probably also naturally tuned with a sense of joy. That's, that's been me always. So it's not a hard thing. Um, but you know, I've also had my share of anxiety attacks and stuff that happens and things that flip you out And, you know, now being armed with an arsenal of techniques and with Muse 2, the heart rate techniques and the breathing techniques that then help you really shift your physiology and stay in that shifted physiology have been game changing. Mm
0: -hmm. Within the Muse 2 and its user um, experience, does it help you link or sync your breath with your heartbeat? Is that part of it?
1: Yeah, so… When you, our breath and our heartbeat are intrinsically linked. So when you breathe in, your heart rate goes up. When you breathe out, your heart rate goes down. So that's actually the basis of heart rate variability. And the greater the um, change between your in breath and your out breath, the higher the peak, um, the delta, the difference, the greater your heart rate variability. So with Muse 2, what you hear is the beating of your heart like the beating of a drum. And so you're actually able to hear when your heart rate is increasing when your heart rate is decreasing and begin to understand that it actually does shift and flow with your breath. And then once you understand that as you breathe out, your heart rate decreases, then that begins to really make sense when you do um, extended out breath. So in our breath pattern, it's breathe in for four, out for six, because that causes your body to slow itself down because you're spending more time in that decreasing heart rate. And so when you start to sort of play and understand these patterns inside yourself, you're much more able to use them and understand how to effectively use them to shift your physiology.
0: Hmm, Awesome. So the, so the basis of the breath, or I'm sorry, the basis of the breath for, for the Muse 2, is it the same as Muse 1 where it's a four in, six out?
1: Um, so in Muse 1, we don't uh, give you any guidance about what your breath pattern should be. Um, with Muse 2, uh, there actually will be multiple breath patterns. Um, there's just one of them in there, which is the in for four, out for six. Um, but there will be more breath patterns coming too.
0: Updates to the to the software.
1: Yes, we're regularly updating the software.
0: What's what's your favorite breath? What's, your, <laughs> what's um, but really, what is it?
1: It's a that's okay. That's a good question. So. I now have a very slow heart, uh, very slow breath pattern. Um, naturally like when I lie in my husband's chest, my husband's probably 225 pounds. And I, when I just lie with him and he's breathing, he has probably three or four breaths for every one of my breaths.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. It's really slow. Um, you know, done a lot of playing around with Wim Hof breathing, um, and other breath techniques um, my natural inclination is always to go for probably, probably more like a four to six in and a six to eight out. And when I say six to eight, what I'm actually counting is the beats of my heart. So I don't know how I'm breathing naturally here, but when I'm just like sitting and focused, it's a very, very slow breath.
0: And are you in touch with your heartbeat with while you're breathing. So if you're just sitting at rest, like yeah. listening to someone talk, you're, you're feeling your pulse and sort of maybe even subconsciously or consciously counting your breaths in, in and out.
1: That, that's only when I'm doing like a, when I'm paying attention to my breath, when I'm intentionally focusing on my breath, I actually now count my breaths with the beats of my heart. Um, as you mentioned it now, I can of course listen to my heartbeat and it was slow when you first started talking about it now that I'm paying attention to my heartbeat, it's speeding up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That's really cool. That sounds the ability to I mean, I suppose, um I suppose I'm conscious of it to some extent too, but to be to bring awareness to that, to link up the breath with the heart, man, that that's amazing.
1: So coming eventually in Muse is linking the brain to the heart. So Muse, have you played around with Muse Guided at all?
0: Uh, No, I haven't.
1: Okay. So about four or five months back, we brought in a collection of a hundred different guided meditations in Muse Guided. So there's probably a dozen different teachers doing different meditations for sleep, stress, travel, baseball, all sorts of stuff. And during the guided meditations, we give you guidance afterwards so you get your feedback afterwards so there's just the guidance during it's not real-time feedback from your brain but then afterwards you're actually able to see what your brain was doing and in about a month we're pushing an update where after guided you can see your brain your heart your breath and your body after every guided session Hmm. so you can actually start to correlate your brain activity with your heart activity with your breath
0: why why just with the guided and not with a standard session
1: it's a harder thing to do um, just the sort of architecture of our app makes it harder to give you the feedback during so right now we can easily implement it and guide it. so we just wanted to do it and push it out cool. and over time you'll also see that coming into the regular sessions
0: what does, there's a lot of
1: stuff we're working on
0: <laughs> I guess <laughs> uh, what uh, what does the what are the different graphs look like uh, like what does the uh, are they like layered on top of each other so you can see, okay, that's my heart, okay, that's my breath, okay, that's my that's my brain, and it's just layered? I haven't
1: seen the UI for it yet.
0: Ah interesting. The tech team
1: just told me they're like, God, it's gonna come out with all four feedback. Yeah.
0: Cool. Very cool. So
1: yeah, so we'll find out in November.
0: Do you have superpowers, Ariel?
1: We all have superpowers. Being alive is a superpower, yeah, being human is a superpower, being able to like, see that the, you know, look out the window or say a word. That's a fucking superpower. <laughs> it's unbelievable that we are these <laughs> sentient human beings who can love and like, remember people's names and have pasts and think about futures and drink water and pee and all of these things. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> what, what, how, what, what superpower are you working on right now? I mean, you're in good company. You can get as weird and woo as you want. We're at minute forty, so people are like, "We got sort of the we got." It's been it's been nicely even until now. This is your opportunity if you show if you so wish to really go way out there. Like, what what are you working on and what are you into? Are you an intuitive? Are you do you? I mean, are you an extraterrestrial? Like, what? Are- <laughs> What? At this what?
1: point, everybody who's been, you know, not so interested has dropped off. It's the only committed <laughs> ones who are here. I'm speaking to my people. That's right. That's right. Um, so uh, the superpower is not secret. I actually talk about it a lot. I've been working on facing my fears. Um, and it actually started, be- I started to recognize it because I had allergies to things I shouldn't have allergies to. And I'm like, why when I eat sesame seeds, do I have a reaction? Like I know sesame seeds are totally neutral. And so this started as a and then I started to like become a little bit of, you know, aversive of sesame seeds. Oh, like it smells like sesame seeds. I don't know. I'm like, what the fuck? Why aren't I just comfortable with the world around me? Like, I, I want to just be completely, cap- you know, comfortable in the world wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. The world is fine. It really is. And so I started this practice of radically going into anything that I'm afraid of. And when I feel a sense of aversion or avoidance, that is the, the reason, you know, the, the calling for me to then go into it. And I'll do it quite significantly. So sometimes, you know, like to take the example of a sesame seed, you know, you're going to have a reaction when you do it. But the way to get over it, and these aren't serious reactions, so I'm not going to die. The way to get over it is to train your body and your mind to know that it's okay. And so you do something and as you do it, you know, put the sesame seed in your mouth, your body and your mind are screaming, no, don't do that. Like you're going to get itchy. It's going to be awful. No. And you just go and do it anyways. And you sit with that dialogue, which is the, which is generated by fear. And what you're essentially doing is you're sitting with fear. And I've gotten to the point where I throw the dialogue away. I simply strip it down to the sensation of fear, which it is. And then I feel the fear and I do it anyways. And when you do that over time, the fear just dissipates because we are ruled by fears. Fear, you know, governs whether we'll talk to somebody or stand up on stage or go for a job interview or, or, you know, so many things or make a meal that we've never made before or, 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 or. And so now anytime I feel the resistance, which is fear or defensiveness, which is fear or anger, the reality is just fine.
0: Mm. Yeah. The one one thing that, that jumped out to me was that the this connection and I, it, this connection to fear and all these other things, right? Um, aggression, fear, 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 fear. Sometimes I worry about an oversimplification of it because uh, it doesn't it doesn't a, it doesn't feel like that for a lot of people. I mean, are you in the are you in the there's fear or love sort of um, way of way of thinking about um, emotions?
1: No, I mean, emotions are subtle and varied and complex. And I don't mean to um, belittle emotions by conflating like 50% of them down to fear. But when you look at anger, for example, typically, the root of anger is defensiveness. And that defensiveness comes from the feeling that you were threatened, ultimately, at its core, it's fear. Um, and when you look at, you know, when I look at so many of the things, so many of the thought patterns I have, and so many of the emotions that were triggered, um, you know, frustration, sometimes sadness, uh, it often has a large component of fear at its core Hmm. and it's fear then expressed through different angles. Um, or, you know, fear will trigger, you know, then a set of complex emotions. And so by stripping those emotions, aside, validating them, recognizing they exist, et cetera, but actually just dealing with the fear component of it. Um, that really allows tremendous freedom because fear is a thing that really just makes cages around ourselves. Fear is a thing that like creates this invisible barrier between you and everything else you could be doing in the world and bounces you back from it. You know, fear is the thing that keeps you from creating awesome stuff. Like you sit down, you know, maybe you kind of want to be a musician and you sit down at a keyboard and you're like, eh shit, I don't know what to play. And you just are a little bit afraid. And so you back away and you don't do it and you don't experiment and you don't try. Um, that's, there's so many examples like that of people who just aren't doing things they could be doing because of subtle fears that haven't been recognized and dealt with. And there's no reason you couldn't be doing the thing. It's only fear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then once you recognize, oh, this is my fear. Oh, I may not actually feel this way. This is just the fear talking. This is where I'm at. Okay. Now, how do I how do I cope? How do I adjust? What do I what choices do I make consciously now now that I've recognized the fact that I'm experiencing this fear and yeah. You know, one thing that you said earlier in our conversation was that you were you were interested in creating experiences for people. That, that was that that somehow was like a, a, a driving factor for you um, what other experiences do you like to facilitate for people?
1: all sorts of experiences um, I, really all sorts so one is just the experience of being seen fully you know most of us are afraid to have somebody know us or afraid to 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 really fully connect because we feel like there are parts of ourselves that are shameful or parts of ourselves that people shouldn't see. And so, you know, one experience that I love to give people is just to genuinely be with someone and see them and not, you know, and you can see all sides without judgment and just love who they are fully. And this could be with strangers. You know, I love to strike up conversations with people on the street um, and reinforce them and compliment them and be with them and just, you know, just the experience of being human in a in a non non-constrained non-judgmental way. Um so that's one experience. Um and then I also, you know, all kinds of. I love to take people out with me in nature. Um I love to create a positive culture in our office. You know, all of these are different kinds of experiences. I love to uh hopefully help the way to that people think and shift them, like, you know, through this conversation for the people who are listening to it, these, these are all experiences.
0: Where is the future of, of this going? And does, does AR and an AI in some way, um, going to shape or, or formulate our, our meditation practice? Do you think that it can, is it something that you think about very much?
1: Um, that's a good question. So I used to be asked this question back when, before we were meditation, when we were a thought controlled computing company, um, you know, like 10 years ago, people would be like, so what's the future of thought controlled computing? And I'd be like, well, you know, 20 years, we're going to have these really, really small sensors and they're going to be ubiquitous and everybody's going to be interacting with stuff with their brain. turns out technology moves, although it moves incredibly slowly, it moves much more, although it increases. Although it moves incredibly quickly, it moves much more slowly than that prediction. Um, It is, however, you know, Moore's law, it's been gathering speed. Um, So when we look at how, for example, AI and AR, two similar sounding acronyms that have absolutely nothing to do with one another, um, might impact this. With AI, you know, already we use machine learning learning to create algorithms that understand, uh, your brain state. So brain activity is incredibly complex and we have a machine learning model that knows when you're in a focused attention versus mind wandering. So, and we use, um, sophisticated ML techniques. Um, in many ways, ML and AI are just two sides of the same coin. So as artificial intelligence improves our ability to, you know, decode brain state and then, give that to you, back to you for meaningful information will become useful in our, our ability to decode body and to be able to correlate between all of the different um, physiological signals that our body gives off, be able to take that information, analyze it at mass, aggregate it, and then predict what may be an effective outcome for you. So be able to also, you know, observe your actions, your activities, your behaviors, your choices, and then be able to say like, hey, hey, we notice that you're feeling anxious now based on these 12 signals. Um, might we suggest we, you do this thing that we know you love to do because you've done it 12 times before and it's been helpful. And it was more helpful than that other technique you used. And we can see that that technique wasn't as useful because we can see all these signals. Mm. So that's one potential way of it going, like a AI coach. But that's many, many, many years in the future. From the augmented reality perspective, um, uh, Steve Mann, the lab that I came out of, you know, in the early 2000s, the original BCI technology. He's also Chris's um, master supervisor. He was actually the guy who invented Google Glass before Google did. He had the original augmented reality systems, a pair of glasses with a lens in it um, and a camera pointing at the world and a huge uh, like fanny pack that he'd wear filled with technologies and a backpack filled with batteries and processors and wires everywhere. He literally had the first augmented reality rig. And so Um he's actually made uh EG systems that plug into his augmented reality rig. Um so there's there is a future that will eventually come there where there'll be an interplay between brain activity and what you see. Um in the nearer term, uh virtual reality um is something that's already used with the Muse. So there is like Many people who've built super cool augmented reality, sorry, virtual reality experiences where um, Muse will sense your brain activity and based on brain state, different stuff will happen in your virtual world. Really? Really, yeah. So uh, uh, Microdose and Android Jones have built this beautiful experience that we demoed at CES a few years ago. Um, where it's basically like a paint program and the virtual world shifts and the colors of your paintbrush and the characteristics of your paintbrush shift based on your mind state and your mood as sensed with Muse.
0: Wow. I have not heard about that. I'm a huge Android Jones fan and I have not, I've not heard of this. It sounds amazing.
1: It's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, wow. We've been working closely with them over the last few years to continue to iterate and build.
0: Wow. well oh, that's cool. One thing that that I um that I thought about just as kind of as you were talking is, um, what about people who are maybe sensitive to EMFs um, is is does does the device at all emit EMFs um, and and does it affect people in any negative way?
1: Um so to our knowledge, it doesn't affect anyone in a negative way. there's there is a battery on board and Bluetooth low energy. So you know significantly better than, for example, your iPod earbuds, which actually also like send energy between one another to a certain degree. Yeah. So, this is just a battery and a Bluetooth and a board, battery board and Bluetooth, and it projects out towards your phone. Got it. Um, so, if you are comfortable using a cell phone or comfortable having a cell phone sitting next to you, this is orders of magnitude, dramatically less, significantly, many, 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 many times less to be like residually nothing relative to that benign phone sitting next to you.
0: Got it. Got it. Good. Um, what do, what do the, what do the critics and we've kind of caught into this. We we got into it a little bit. But what what sort of most common misconception is there uh, that that just is just not right. That that's totally inaccurate. Like when when people try to pick it apart or when they object or when they. You know, some dude in a robe comes up and says, this isn't meditation. You're not, you're you're hucksters. No, this, and I don't know any people in robes that talk like that, but um, (laughs) like, uh, um, what, what do, what do, what are common objections and what, what are falsities that you could maybe head on, uh, head in um, face for us, like sort of um, debunk for us?
1: Sure. Um, so a few fun things that we see on our Facebook ads when people comment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that That is specifically what I was thinking was like Facebook yeah. and Instagram comments. Right. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Trollers? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is snake oil. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's not snake oil. There are now over 190. There's So last count, 194 different papers published using Muse.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. By MIT. Um, NASA uses it on their um, on their Mars simulator. Um, MIT has written multiple papers with it. Mayo Clinic is using it for breast cancer patients awaiting surgery. <laughs> Not snake oil. Oh my gosh. Um, next comment. I'm trying to think. Why would I pay $300 to sit with my eyes closed? I can do that for free. <laughs>
0: Well, that's an easy answer. That 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 troll—that's a weak troll. Okay, what about what about the good trolls? What about the really good, the really skillful trolls? What are the, how do they how do they attack?
1: I'm trying to think. Um, there are people that are worried that it like zap your brain to bring enlightenment. That you know, enlightenment shouldn't be easy. Mm. But at a, this is not an enlightenment machine. Like, there's no magic button that's going to bring you to enlightenment. Um, and b. I'm really sorry to tell you, you still have to do the work. This, this is just a mirror or a teacher, um, but you have to do the work yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It strikes me how well thought through this is. And I think since the beginning, because I was skeptical at first, before I tried it, I thought this is cheating. There's just no way. Like I've been, I've been meditating. I've struggled through transcendental meditation, Zazen, mindfulness, taking Vipassana and and now there's a headband that's going to make me a better meditator. And I poo-pooed it until I tried it and then I liked it and I thought, well, this now it's too fun. I'm having too much fun with this. <laughs> I don't want to have fun in my meditation. I just want to meditate. I want to, I want to have the purest, uh, deepest experience that I possibly can without attachment to that experience. And then I tried it again and I liked it. I never bought one, but friends of mine have had them and I've tried them, you know, for weeks at a time. And, You've really thought all the way through. You've thought through the arguments that try to, try to shit on it. You've thought through how to position it. Um, you've thought through how can this be made better. And I just wanted to, to like state out because it's the first time that we've met. I just wanted to state out that, that I think that you guys are doing so many things correctly. And the way that you're positioning it, it really resonates and seems authentic and truthful. And I just wanted to share that with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's really, it. really wonderful.
0: Yeah,
1: that's really, really sweet. Thank you very, very much. It's really meaningful. Yeah, we're trying. It's always a surprise that works, but uh, we're trying and trying to be incredibly thoughtful and scientific and spiritual simultaneously, and and honor what's good and what's human. So, and, and thanks for noticing. Yeah,
0: that's not easy. That's and, and 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 when the spiritual aspects come in, which is which is. Inevitably woven into a meditative experience because we still don't really know. We can measure brainwaves, but we still don't know where our mind goes. We still don't know much about consciousness. So to even weave in the the capital S word or even the lowercase S word spirituality or spiritual into this, for it you guys even do that gracefully, and I think um it's really re- refreshing. Okay, I'm done. Like like <laughs> dipping praise. Jeez, Sean, chill out. Um
1: uh, <laughs> that's really kind. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean it. Um thank you. Where can where can people find it? Um where can they read up on it? Uh where can people follow you? Um give us all the give us all the details.
1: Uh so you can find out more about Muse at choosemuse.com um or at choosemuse on any of the social platforms. Feel free to leave all the comments you want. <laughs> um <laughs> any variety will take them um, you can find me at on Instagram at Arielle's Musings and Twitter Arielle Doggarten
0: awesome I like to ask everybody the same fill in the blank question at the end of our conversation so um, this can be directly related to meditation or entrepreneurship or consciousness or whatever whatever you feel called to share if you would please fill in the blank expand as much as you want Um, everyone would benefit from knowing.
1: I love this question. Everyone would benefit from knowing that they are amazing, beautiful, talented, capable, multifaceted and free people hemmed in only by the inner critic, the negative voices and the false stories in our own minds.
0: Ariel Garten, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: <laughs> My sincere and total pleasure, thank you.